0: Service with Stefan Ozic. Hello, all. How are we going? Welcome back to another episode of the Living in Service podcast with myself, Stefan Ozic. So good to be back. I'm grateful to be back, and I'm glad you are back. Uh, This episode was a real enjoyable conversation, and I was actually quite nervous coming into this conversation. just because it's was a professor and I felt like I was way out of my depth here, but hey, the ego likes to play tricks all the time and it always likes to belittle itself, yourself, in most situations in life. So this was a valuable life lesson for me is don't take things or people too seriously because we're all human. So I got to see that and sense that and grant and I'm grateful for that. so yeah, Professor Grant Schofield, he, where to start with him? He's a public health specialist and he's got his PhD in public health and public health nutrition. Um, he is also an author of a series of books called What the Fat? Uh, these books have actually had a personal impact on me and my journey into a lower carb, higher fat approach and way of living. And I imagine it's been the same for a lot of you that are tuning in. Uh, the books were conveyed really eloquently and really simply and it was a real good approach for people that are intrigued by that way of living and what it takes to get there. Um, he also is a lecturer and he's actually started a company called Precure, Prevention is Cure. It's an online form of education, a correspondence form of education. You could say it's kind of like a university. Uh, and it's been littered with a litany of professors, dietitians, doctors and other experts in their fields to basically present a whole and holistic package of nutrition, the science of nutrition, health coaching and all those areas and in this time we're living in I think that is incredibly important and we get to touch on that and we, in this conversation we explore many things ranging from uh, basic dietary health, dietary eating head, um, patterns, talk about metabolic health, metabolic dysfunction, talk about public health, talk about ketosis, talk about insulin, talk about insulin resistance, talk about organ functions and a myriad of topics in that field. And I think this was a, a great conversation with those that are wishing and willing to try to understand and explore more uh, what it means to live a more healthy and health conscious life. So strap up all. Uh, thanks again to Grant Schofield for this conversation. I'm incredibly grateful. And I look forward to more conversations that we can have. Peace and love
1: and enjoy. Yeah, what do they actually mean? You know, you can't-
0: I agree and there's probably that it's almost like sterile because it's like it's this binary approach that you become so familiar with but then there's kind of no energy behind it (laughs) that's that's again why i think the power of having these um face-to-face conversations i try to do it that's kind of my main focus with this is obviously like i want to be in the moment and do these conversations. Yeah, I'm almost so thinking long term too, how am I going to manage it when I want to have conversations with these other people? Am I going to have to travel and trying to find that kind of balance and approach to it? Um, Well, Dr. Grant Schofield, correct? Professor, professor?
1: yeah, professor's usually the, usually Trump's doctor.
0: Yeah, 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 well, thank you for taking the time. I really do appreciate you, Um, yeah allowing and giving up your home it's a beautiful home Thanks. I really love the way that that is exposed yeah this house lot.
1: actually mostly burnt down as it turns out oh, wow um, four or five years ago um by accident it flooded and then the insurance company was fixing it up and uh their dehumidifying equipment caught on fire and set the whole house on fire
0: Jeez!
1: and um sort of gutted it from the inside out so we had to muck around and try and you know scrub off the soot and then you know repaint it and rejib it and you know all the plasterboard and all that so yeah, yeah.
0: we don't really hear of that eh? so yeah. the insurance company that's having a tent of uh, insurance and then they end up yeah the
1: insurance company <laughs> set its own insured property <laughs> on fire
0: <laughs> so it was yours at that time as well or yeah, was yeah. It the previous owners? yeah yeah previous yeah us. yeah oh wow yeah. Well, odds of that well wow, they seem to have cleaned it up really well the white really yeah if someone's going to
1: cause Damage to your house, it must all well be the insurance company yeah, that insures yeah. it. Yeah, who better, right? Eh? Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, um, again, yeah, I appreciate this, uh, grant. And well, yeah, is grant okay? Is it yeah, to yeah. say, grant, yeah, um, yeah, I basically stumbled across you from your books, um, and I must say they actually had a real impact on me and my outlook on nutrition and how you approach eating and the whole idea of having like a fasted window and eating intermittently that was something that really kind of provoked me and it was something that wasn't really ever addressed in the common sort of approach of dietary needs and diet and kind of the community approach and you look at the ministry of health and their whole approach of eating you know got your breakfast lunch dinner and then yeah. snacks in between it's it's probably not intentional from them but it's kind of coming across here you always must be eating as a human being Mm. yet you delivered this idea that no let's break it up and maybe we need less time to eat so we can when we do eat the food's going to be better assimilated and better utilized yeah where did that first start start for you like how did you begin that journey in that whole field
1: um i suppose i it's, it's interesting i'd done more work with uh, low carbohydrate and keto type diets and one of the surprising things to people when they get the refined processed foods especially the sugars out is that they find they're not so hungry and often they just get busy and forget that it was lunchtime and they're just fine or they'd just get up and go to work and you know, not eat till they got home and they would be surprised again that they were fine which was definitely my experience uh, having been an athlete that was always chomping down the carbs and sugar, mm. to no longer sort of have that, I guess the the sort of biology of that idea called reactive hypoglycemia, where you uh, eat a lot of processed food, your blood sugar initially goes way up, and then it comes because you overproduce insulin, it it crashes back down lower than it was. You know, the, the sugar crash is the common term, and the reality is that virtually everyone goes through well shouldn't show virtually everyone, but a lot of people in modern society spend their whole lives in, in this sort of cycle of reactive hypoglycemia. Their sugar's up, mm. insulin's up, it's down lower, now they're hungry and emotional, now they need to eat again, and you're just repeating that cycle every hour or two during the day. Wow. Uh, to be freed from that is pretty liberating, right? So that's cool. Mm. Um, and so sort of both food quality helps, but then it's just, I think, that's. Do right, the timing of when you eat is interesting and yeah. we were always told, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day you can't miss it, if you miss it it's going to set you up really badly for the rest <laughs> of the day and it, you know, it just turns out if you don't eat breakfast you, t- you just eat less. Uh, you've got more time for your glucose and insulin to return to normal, you've got less inflammation all these, you know, all the scientific bits and pieces around metabolism are better. You're like, oh that's interesting and then you go well actually, you know, you read a lot about I mean, my experience with longer fasting was, was non-existent. You, know, you read it, I'd heard about the 40-hour famine, but people eat crap cr- 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 through that anyway. And I hadn't even done that because I couldn't fathom that, um, let alone a three- or five-day fast. And so, you know, annually we do a, a fast or two. In fact, I'm actually at the end of my first day of a five-day fast that we're just doing at the moment. So... Um,
0: you the end of the first day. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I'd have, yeah, I have a okay. little
1: um, fruit tea, but those no. are yeah. I, I, I go say, for like yeah, those yeah. things that have got zero mm. other nutrients. Oh, great. So, yeah. Do you so find, I, do
0: you find um, cognitively when you enter into that first day? Because I'm assuming you'll be quite metabolically flexible. Yeah. And your body's probably more adapted to that. Do you find that that first day you feel the the way your ketones? Like, yeah, I
1: was feeling pretty good anyway. But I think yeah, um, yeah, definitely cognitively sharpen up. All the books I've written, I've done at least half of them during fasts it's just like you just Mm. absolutely switch into like being super connecting you know like i think cognitively i'm like thinking of this and thinking of that and these other things like so super productive with that um tonight right now one day into fast and haven't eaten for 24 hours um i think the major thing is that for me habitually i'm just like used to having some food probably so so it's a bit like what am i supposed to do so luckily you've turned up so we're away
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I find it's the biggest thing with um eating because m- myself I'm exact same boat as that when I've had a long-term fast that a big part of it is you realize how much time in your day is actually spent I know. eating yeah or how d-
1: much you're, you're right, yeah.
0: you're right. And, and how much of your schedule was oriented around preparing a meal yeah
1: uh, when well, you don't have to do that you've got all this extra time yeah, yeah, it's amazing yeah. it is amazing Yeah, I, I mean it's, it's obviously it's, not a sustainable strategy you can't not eat for a of course, lo- of course. long time but yeah, the idea that would um, actually there's a, a re- interesting story if you would allow me to tell you that I, that's really told me such another powerful story around fasting I, I was just at, presenting at the New Zealand General Practice Conference in Rotorua last month uh, and you know just doing our usual stuff there but a um, colleague of mine, Glenn Davies, who's the GP of the Year, and another guy, uh, Matt Phillips, who's a neurologist from uh, Waikato Hospital in, in uh, Hamilton, in New Zealand, They've, and they brought along a patient that had had some really interesting issues, Serona, um, and they all spoke of it. So it's the most powerful presentation I've ever been to, but it told me something about fasting. I'll just tell you a little backstory story here. So, uh, she turned up when she was, I don't know, six months pregnant or something and ended up uh, having a, a pretty severe brain cancer, glioblastoma, and it had, not only that, it had metastasised and was you know, in her lungs, so it was a terminal condition. Uh, they didn't even think it was worth doing palliative chemotherapy. So, you know, she's pregnant and basically it's like, you've got a terminal condition, you're going to die very soon, there's nothing we can do. Uh, and uh, Matt Phillips, a neurologist, stepped in and he goes, oh, you know, I think maybe we could try some fasting um, just to see what it's if it can help yeah. and um, on top of that she'd actually had a, a pretty uh, bad autoimmune condition that she'd had to have her immune, immune suppressants for decades for which is possibly one of the reasons that she got the cancer mm-hmm. in the first place. In any case. Um, long story short, she was doing seven days fasting every month, which is, you know, both you and I are going, "Whoa!" Um, but, you know, five years on, she's got a beautiful daughter. Her daughter's now five. Um, she's in, I wouldn't say remission, but the cancer's shrunk down to a completely controllable level. It's no longer terminal or life-threatening. Mm. Um, but what's interesting is that what she struggled with because of the fasting is that her immune system was now even more active and she have these flare-ups of this autoimmune condition um, along the way. But I think even that's now sort of resolved itself. Mm. It's just, you yeah. know, it's just an amazingly powerful tool yes. um, in this medicine uh, f- for how the immune system works. And, you know, in this case of a cancer situation where it was, there was no other hope, uh, yeah, just, it's really, mm one of the more powerful things I've been to in recent times. I find
0: that something that right there, the, the, you, you said a key word, it's a tool. <coughs> yeah. And I think that's a big part of this. the whole allopathic model is that it's something that personally I've never been presented to me. Yeah. I imagine there would be a few, it sounds like this Glenn Davies GP, he would probably present it to his patients, yes. but the idea of hey maybe, maybe don't eat um, one meal miss a meal, I should yeah. say, a day for the next two weeks, yeah. and then come back to me. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's something that you can't really prescribe as a doctor because there's no money maybe behind it. I don't want to get too in the weeds and I granular. Think, I think it's,
1: that's part of it, but I think it's also they, you know, I think people, people won't do studies. it. I, I, I talked to a lot of doctors and I talked to, um, I'll give you another example, my dad, uh, who's several years on from having metastatic prostate cancer, you know, I think one i think i was counting 18 tumors in one lung and you know i was talking to the to the oncologist about this and going you know well um, we're going to make some dietary changes what do you think about that and she's like oh yeah we'll just keep your energy whatever you need to do to keep your energy levels up and i was like no i won't be doing that Mm. yeah we're going to be doing you know this other approach with some fasting and some keto stuff and she's like oh yeah anyway um One course of chemo completely resolved all the tumours, like in complete remission. She couldn't believe it, Uh, and yeah, now she's going, oh yeah, Mm. I'm now telling everyone. But before that, that was just normal practices, like, yeah, just keep your energy levels up, which is not great advice. Yeah, Yeah. I
0: think that's a big part of it, eh? And I imagine the studies behind it, I assume it'll be becoming more frequent now, but I imagine that's the big part of that that scientific model is they need these studies, right? They need to be able to have these studies to be able to then forward that into like, maybe their their meetings or however they go about, you
1: know. Although in saying that, you know, our work with just diabetes reversal, which is pretty simple, right? Like it's a problem of eating too much carbohydrate for how your body can cope with it. Um, You restrict that severely, you can use fasting, you can use uh, low carb ways of eating. Yeah, you can reverse diabetes. You no know, longer have the diagnosis. You, you no know, longer is that type take, one and type two, or type life? two, type two, type two. Yeah, um, I mean, in the you know, the, there's heaps of published research on that, mm. um, including our own. But you know, I think there was a paper published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition last month, meta-analysis, so studies of the studies. Yeah. You know, the amount of carbohydrate you restrict and your diabetic outcomes, and of course, the more you don't eat, the better you do, because it's if you don't eat glucose your blood glucose doesn't go up so much (laughs) Um, but even then in medicine we still have trouble advancing that idea to give that as first-line advice first-line advice is still uh, mainly futile uh, diabetic medication Mm. so
0: yeah and you're kind of at the mercy of the willingness of the patient because if they're not willing to make these dietary changes because i imagine that would be a huge factor
1: yeah, it's interesting how that's presented, because that, uh, Glenn Davies, who's the GP of the Year in New Zealand at the moment, and then David Unwin in the UK, who does a lot of this work as well, when I mean, they, they do quite well. They're like, look, there's a few different ways we can do it. I can give you some medication, you're going to get steadily worse, um, or we can change your diet and we can reverse this. Um, wow. Obviously, that's a bit harder. What do you choose? And, you know, so put like that, it's an interesting way for... A, doctor to put it right and I think that's a much more sensible way to give health choices like well we can do this we can do this what's over to you giving the power to the patient yeah of course rather than because the word prescriptions are such a stupid word right it's like I decree that you take these things which Mm. is the exact opposite way you try and get people to engage in healthy lives Mm. it's not your decision it's their thing and they should weigh weigh up the pluses and minuses of any treatment Mm. Um, you know anyone who's getting Surgery or considering taking a drug or even thinking about fasting should go. Well, what are the harms? What are the benefits? What how do those play out for me? Mm. You know, I'm getting knee surgery. How many times has my surgeon done it? Is this their first go at it? Uh, You know, like these are things you'd like to know Um, And then you can make a decision. It's not they shouldn't be telling no medical person should be telling you what to do They could tell you what the options are and what the possible harms and benefits and there's always I think that's the thing that i'm always thinking about there's always harms and benefits right mm. um, they should kind of
0: be the one that yeah lay out the risk benefit the cost benefit in a way you could say yeah but but like, but it could describe. be completely like yeah. if
1: we we could do a th- thought experiment now right so yeah. um, let, let's do this together we go okay um stefan you know i'm your treating physician and you turn up and i hate stefan just it's good you're here because i've discovered this new medicine uh you take this blue pill and it adds 10 years to your life guaranteed um, and those are going to be in good health so you're getting 10 quality health years Um, you know are you interested you you might go i don't know what you're going to say what would you say
0: well i would like to know more okay good good question i'm intrigued but i'd
1: like to know more okay well yeah it's it's good you're asking more because actually for some people um, in fact there's a one in four chance that actually what could happen is you'll just drop dead on the spot Wow. Um, and so with that extra information, the harms and benefits, both you and I are going to go. Nah. Yeah. Nah, forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but, to that. but so my dad turned up with this metastatic prostate cancer at age 84. And the doctor says, look, you've got a 10 extra healthy years of life, one in four chance of dropping dead on the spot. He might actually go. Oh, it, it, actually, you know what? It's pretty good odds. Mm. Because I'm more or less stuffed anyway, you know. Like, um, so I think the point of that thought experiment is that what someone will decide is an effective treatment is only—it's always their decision. It's never a doctor's decision um, because you can never weigh up harms and benefits.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. I'd like to kind of go back a bit and almost kind of share more about your journey and your process of getting to where you are and. I'm aware of um, you did some work for The Who and a big, big uh, aim for your intentions of working. It's a lot of um, public health and yep. you're kind of involved in that discipline. But prior to that, I'd like to kind of hear and have, have, allow the listener to kind of hear more about your story. You, you touched on athletic, your athletics, I'd like to hear oh, more about yeah. that. <laughs> and, you know, that whole process, Your yeah,
1: yes, so always, where did it begin for Grant? Oh, I don't know, like... It, um, I don't know where to begin with this stuff, but...
0: I guess I guess more your interest in health in I, I suppose
1: I, I'd been a... When I was a kid at school, you know, like you're a kid, and then all of a sudden you're at high school and you're you starting to think more about what actually life's about. Um, and strangely, I think it was mainly because I just read books when I was a kid. I was just, like, really good at school. Um, and so I would get, like, A's and, you know, whatever the grades were back then. I'd do really well. That was fine. Um, and I was sort of curious about the world. Um, but then I got into sports and I didn't really do any study, didn't do that. I was like one of those kids, I, I did my sports at school, I did rugby and rowing, and you know, that just took up all my time. And uh, so as a consequence of that, I actually didn't do very well at the end of school. Like I was you know, just barely getting through because I didn't actually really go to school, which was stupid. I never really understood that. So um, ended up going to uni and sort of the same thing you know, badgered my way through the first year. Not very good. Uh, and then I enrolled in physiology and psychology, and I thought they were really interesting. I turned up, I didn't even take notes. I just listened and asked questions, and, you know, I was really engaged in the material. And I what was the in,
0: impetus of that?
1: Did that? I don't know, I just, just thought it would thought be cool. Intrigue. Yeah, I thought, oh, that would be interesting. That sounds yeah. like it would be cool. Starts yeah. with P, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, then I was giving A-pluses and stuff again, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, and... Then my s- sporting interest, um, sort of, because i would always been a good runner, um, and I liked cycling, um, got into triathlon, and then I just got more and more into that as well as when I was studying and doing a PhD mm. and that sort of stuff mm. in psychology and physiology, mm. uh, just really got into that, and I was, I was reasonably good at it, so I could go and race you know, overseas and win races, and. No, not really pay for it, I wasn't perfect. Ironman? Ironman, yeah, yeah, I was better Iron. at the longer distance. Um, and it was just like a good puzzle of physiology as well oh. and psychology, it was just all... Did
0: they start to piggyback each other, you felt? Yeah, that yeah, your, and I was sort of into that, and yeah, I just thought
1: course. that was, I don't know, it's just what I was into, it's like, I enjoyed the complexity of that challenge. Mm. Uh, and then, in the end, uh, yeah, I'd been a, you know, graduated with a PhD in psychology and i've been a registered psychologist in queensland where i worked and at a a uni there in the psychology program and i just ended up connecting with some guys in at the same uni who were doing human movement science but they were doing the sort of public health aspects of being active and a bit of diet and just sort of joined up with them and got more and more into that um and by the time i finished there we were pretty well connected in that area with the academics and that was pretty obvious it was going to be my thing came back to New Zealand and just sort of grew those things. And I think I've just sort of, uh, I suppose I'm not that I'm easily bored, but I'll do a topic quite a lot. So we did a lot on physical activity and you know, fitness and health, and then a lot on nutrition. Uh, and then that's been the, th- that stuff. And I've, I've still got a massive interest in nutrition, especially mm-hmm. around the fasting and those aspects. And then uh, now I'm also interested in sleep. Uh, And then more interestingly, I've got back into mental health again, Mm. um, especially the nutritional aspects of mental health. Mm. And then um, more interestingly, the sort of hot-cold therapy and the breath breath aspects of this. Well, that's become more... Mm. I mean, these aren't new things, right? People have known about these for centuries. um, But a sort of contemporary scientific study of them to bring them into mainstream medicine is what's needed. So, yeah, just sort of following that journey so... I guess part of the beauty of working in as a research scientist, at least part of what I do in a university, is um, that you've got the freedom within the sort of sphere that I study, which is the quality of human life, uh, to to you know pick the things that are, keep coming, and they keep coming. So it's, mm. it's so interesting.
0: So you, as a lecturer or a professor at these <laughs> universities, what and in what and what like classes are you taking, lectures or having cohorts of uh, yes, I mainly what? still just teach
1: nutrition, yep. um, okay. and, but then I will take on, because we get masters and PhD thesis students, so someone will want to specifically study other things, so I'll still do stuff um, beyond that in physical activity and health, i do stuff, I've got a PhD student, Jeff, uh, password, studying sleep, uh, and, and sleep quality and quantity, I've got um, you know, people doing mental health. And um, all the different lifestyle treatment mm. work, so I'll sort of pick up those thesis students on those areas that we can um, work with. And you know, often it's just not me; there'll be a team doing stuff, or there'll be another supervisor. Yeah. I've got another project at the moment funded by Movember International, the men's health charity, with Fire and Emergency in New Zealand, looking at uh, some of the psychological aspects of trauma and how you mitigate those. So wow. it, well, it's cool; you get a lot to do. But I, but I like, I don't know, I like. I really, at least I feel I thrive. I'm not sure if other people feel I'm thriving doing it, but yeah. uh, by, by taking lots of disciplines and, you know, like,
0: Amalgamating them in a way. Yeah, amalgamating them because mm. there's so much to learn. Like, yeah, you know, something learn. you learn
1: in, uh, well, a good example, something you learn in exercise science that you talked about earlier, that metabolic flexibility, that's really a lab-based measurement for athletes. Uh, you know, it's got such good application to general diet and health and well-being you know, that's really metabolic flexibility the ability to oxidize fat or carbohydrate
0: yeah could you could you kind of explain expound on that a bit because it is a term that some people may be aware of but some people probably have no idea yeah. how in, in layman terms how would you kind of describe um, metabolic flexibility
1: well probably it's easier just to figure out how you measure it so mm. um, you, you'll either have someone on a, a treadmill or a stationary bike, and you have them all rigged up. Oh, you know someone's coming. Oh. Um, oh, so, so, so this metawatt flexibility, it's probably easier to figure out how you do it. It's like you have someone rigged up on a treadmill or a, a stationary bike, and they've got a, a gas mask on, that tube's coming to to a. Uh, I uh, think called online gas analysis, so it's, it's, okay. it's really measuring their expired carbon dioxide and oxygen, which is all technical, but in real terms what that just allows you to figure out is um, how much fat are they oxidising for fuel, mm. and how much carbohydrate are they oxidising for fuel, and the idea is that that should change. So um, when you're sitting around like we are now, uh, if you're metabolically flexible then you should hopefully rely predominantly on fat. Um, as your primary fuel. And the good thing about that is it's a clean burning, easily accessible fuel, mm. uh, doesn't cause inflammation. But as you exercise harder and harder, as intensity goes up, then then you're going to need extra energy from somewhere. Mm. And that progressively should come from carbohydrate. And so mm. someone who's metabolically flexible when they're going running flat out is supplying still some energy from fat, but almost a whole bunch of energy from carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. So it Just sort of switches around and like that.
0: We start to learn the terms, of difference between anaerobic and aerobic. Is where yeah, yeah, aerobic so aerobic, aerobic is a aerobic kind of a, a light jog, a consistent light jog. Yeah, consistent yeah. light
1: like jog. If you're metabolically flexible, you're yeah. able to access and metabolise fat. Yeah. but if you're metabolically inflexible, which is most people, um, then they just can't really access those fat stores. Yeah. Um, so that was that's really come from exercise physiology and high performance, okay. but it's like completely useful for understanding uh yeah you know, f- how fasting can reset that system or something like that
0: mm. yeah. cuz your books your book series what the fat i noticed you did you almost did like a practical application version where you've kind of got like guidelines and how people can when it comes from the eating plan when you've got the actual book itself which yep. is introducing people to low-carb, high-fat, then you've yeah. got the sports edition one, and then you've got the cookbook edition one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I read the sports edition one, and I love how you really expound on that, and you talk highly of the importance for endurance athletes, especially of the important, um, the utility of a high-fat approach and how that works. So I'm curious, because I, I personally, myself, run these long-distance races, and as I've become more aware of metabolic flexibility, I've found that, I can just have a coffee or some butter or coffee or some M C T oil and go out for a three, four hour run and Amazing, maybe isn't it? just have, yeah. yeah. I, if you'd have told me that three, four years ago I'd have been like, You're fucking bullshitting me. But Yeah, it's but a great big, great it's great it's a good example anecdote. of being yeah. well
1: fed after for holy Yeah, Yeah.
0: But it just it just baffles me like this whole the whole public health system that it's just not it's like they're always telling, it goes back to the side of our conversation, where they're telling us we must always be eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacking in between. Yeah, but and this then, seems and chaotic.
1: Then, and you could have six or seven or eight serves of grains and you know basically ultra-processed food to go with that, and that would just be fine. Um, and it's then bizarre, oils
0: isn't it? and and meats and poultry mm. and whatnot is like the tip of, the, tip of it, which yeah, you should have it. the least moderate. And yeah. I, I, that's my biggest thing, and that's why I'm so... Um, like um i felt talking to you was so important is because you're involved in the public health thing Mm. is just this the 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 approach like why is it so lagging i guess obviously there's a lot of policies involved in the way the infrastructure is set up and you know there's lobbying and there's money and then there's where finances are acquired and where they're going and allocated all that all that gibberish but i can't help but think that it's almost like a coup that that intentionally trying to disrupt the harmony that a human can truly get to. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's almost like the individual has to take responsibility, but it's fucking hard. Yeah. And like this whole approach here, it just seems like this is probably the most important thing that for just a lay person, the most accessible way to enter into this type of lifestyle, what would you actually recommend for someone wanting to get more involved and just more cognizant of how they are living and the intentionality of the way they eat and the way they exercise and move, essentially approaching a low-carb, high-fat lifestyle, what?
1: Well, I think, for me, it's like, um, there's like an evolutionary biologist guy called Daniel Lieberman. Mm. Um, He's done everything from sort of ways of eating to barefoot running to all sorts of stuff. Um, But he really gets the, articulates well the idea of what he calls mismatch theory, right? So um, our biology evolved in some environments that were outdoors, they were unstable, we were moving. Uh, We, you know, we were eating foods that we had uh, caught or grown or foraged. Uh, The light that we got was from the sun. um, that, That went up and the blue light was highest during the middle of the day. Uh, We were in smallest groups of people that we knew um, and well connected with. Um, You know, that's the human condition. And when you have an environment that mismatches that, it's no surprise that we don't thrive. And so, you know, in food they talk about, it's really easy to understand when you talk about ultra-processed food. So, you know, it's in a packet it doesn't resemble anything that humans have eaten for virtually the entire time they've been on the planet. I think we recognise pretty clearly that that's probably not going to end that well. Yeah. Um, but you could I suppose then think about the ultra-processed life which is actually so much more than that it's, it's, it's where we sit all day hunching over a computer, we um, are exposed to artificial light during the day and night um, we are connected with people we don't even really know very well and see their, these details <laughs> of their lives but then we don't Connect very well yeah. with the people that we do know. Um, it's like, well, yeah, I think that mismatch is, you know, pretty obviously going to end badly. Yeah. Um, so then the question is, how do you translate that into modern human terms, right? Because it's like, well, you know, I, I'm quite happy that I'm in, a, you know, reasonably nice house with um, central heating and, you know, we're warm. We're not freezing cold. We haven't had to we were eating, we didn't have to catch our dinner, we could just go and find it um, pretty easily. So that's great. Um, you know, we're not obviously going to go, eight billion people aren't going to go back to living in hunter-gathering situations. So, so there's got to have to be some adaptation of that that people can, can understand and try and live with. And that's really the challenge that I'm trying to embark on. How do you try and mimic yes. things that are closer to a biology? And I think those sort of whole food diets that are low in ultra-processed food, and therefore low on carbohydrates, a good place. Not eating mimics that, fasting. Mm. Um, you know, getting out of your comfort zone temperature-wise, so that's what I'm a real fan of, cold and hot, um, for the discomfort that they provide. Mm. Um, you know, with discomfort comes comfort, right? Mm. The, uh, and yeah, something that mimics the sort of movement that humans have done, so, you know, a lot of easy movement during the day that accidentally happens would be a good way uh some occasional stuff where it's a a lot harder um and for some of us like i a lot of people go to me i don't think all the endurance stuff you do is that good for you but man it's good for my mind absolutely Um, i find it really great to be out in nature um which i suppose you do as well if you're doing those sorts of runs um so yeah the trick for modern humans is to understand that we don't match and if you don't match it's not going to end well you're going to have a poorer quality and quantity of life so how do you attempt to match in a world that doesn't resemble what we'd used to live in yes
0: so uh, uh, what comes up is just you you almost you have to if you do want to live a long and happy life that's strong and vital not 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 dying long
1: yeah. Like people, yeah, yeah, that living, live, yeah that's right. Live yeah. to
0: 80, 90, but they're just dying long. Yeah, is that you Good almost n- have to be intentional in yeah. every step of the way? So it yeah, is,
1: yeah, you, you probably you did right. You're gonna have to be, yeah, because because.
0: Again, as you say, this this time we're in, this era, and it's evolutionarily a complete mismatch because it's only in the last 200 years where we've had this immense industrial evolution that comes with the lights, the modes of transport, the way we acquire our food, the way our food's growing, the soil in which the food's growing, the water we drink, and here we are right now. What can we do about it? And it sounds like what you're saying is you you almost just need to be intentional, and how you do that is going to be what gets you to live a longer life. Yeah. and to be more resilient. And
1: yeah, but even then that's hard, right? Because it's like, you, you know, you pick up your phone and, you know, all of a sudden, subconsciously, you find yourself, you've logged in and, I don't know, scrolling through some crap without even thinking, you know, like, yeah. even I find myself doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, and you're like, what is that? So, uh, you yeah, <laughs> I've been actually, there's an there's a interesting book by Johan Hari called Lo- uh, Stolen Focus, uh, which sort of gets into that stuff as well, right? So there's mm. another whole... Even with intentionality, there's other people intentionally trying to have a to pull your, yeah, yeah, yeah. you. Know, yeah, because um, you know. can't be a nihilist or someone that's living under a rock. Well, yeah, I mean, you've interviewed but guys on your previous podcast that hadn't spoken to some people for a year. <laughs> so, so guys get out there and do it. So more power it's, to them. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I'm in that category. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's baffling. It's yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: trying to trying to um, navigate is kind of the biggest joy, but it's also the scariest prospect of being a human in this day and age. Yeah,
1: I suppose you can't not navigate it, though, right? Yeah. But then, in truth, we see most people are not navigating it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. One thing I just wanted to pick up on that you said earlier, I think that, you know, is anyone trying to steal this from us now? absolutely, that's what big tech, that's what big pharma and big food do. They steal this stuff from us. They're stealing your intention. I um, I don't know if you use this doing your endurance stuff, but there's an app called strava which you can just Um, upload your stuff for yeah um but i pay for the subscription and when you and it's when you when you're not the commodity um i reckon the use of that's a completely different thing than something like facebook or instagram or those sorts of things
0: yeah when it's free you're the product you're the product but i'm not the product
1: Mm. um and it's good service actually like i can um we have a small number of friends on there, we just see what each other do, yeah, and we yeah. can. And it uploads my stuff, keeps a record of it. Yeah, I, I'll have
0: I'll, to, I like have it. to follow you anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah, um, you know what I mean? Like, it's a good product because it's not yeah. stealing you in the same of way. Course, You're not sold as the commodity. No one advertises to you. Yeah. I just pay my ninety nine bucks a year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Kind of, kind of juggling the utility of being in the modern era while still trying to keep it in that kind of pastime. Yeah. yeah 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 um so with the public health uh area um something that i've seen and it just it makes me like i don't know how it gets passed but again it's probably there's deep deep um ways that the whole structure of it is is approached and presented but health star ratings like oh yeah. <laughs> in new zealand for those listening we have base well probably better off if you explain it if you're in Health, but basically products um, on, on shelves, generally processed, packaged products. They have this metric. It's like a star rating of five stars, and there's basically rating the health status of this product. Yet yeah, I'm seeing products like Primo packed with 40, 50 grams of sugar, Getting with stabilisers and, pres- and there's Four stars, four and a half stars, up and goes. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to stomp on these companies that are producing these products. But I'm just trying to push back and say, well, where do we draw the line? You've got a bo- water, bottle of water that says five half stars. I'm like, oh, that's great. Okay. That makes sense. But then.
1: no, nah, because um, there's, there's, there's the carbonated water, which had a little bit of sodium and it, gets two and a half stars. So you've got like actual water what? Um, getting two and a half stars and you've got like ultra processed, yeah. um, high sugar, uh, you know, breakfast. Above serious. that. Yeah, way above that.
0: So, so where, where, what is, how is that even determined?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, us look who does this. So um, the Ministry of Health in New Zealand and, and the equivalents of Australia have collaborated. Um, not, they don't collaborate to do this. It's the ministries of primary industries, so primary production. Okay. So it's the food processing um, that are doing it. So, you know, you wonder why the Ministry of Primary Industries is giving uh, it's a you know, health rating endorsement yeah. and so then they've, I think you know, basically they've been hoodwinked by a conglomerate of Nestle Sanitarium and you know, the other big food uh, companies to you know, hide the fact that these, they, I mean it's just a disgrace that they um, penalise particularly fat and salt as nutrients to worry about and don't do much about sugar so you can end up with something like Up and Go which has the same Sugar by volume is Coca-Cola, but it's got some added fortified vitamins and vitamins and some um, soluble fi- soluble fibre, which does next to nothing anyway. And, rich food. Yeah. And <sighs> so it's just basically ultra processed liquid junk food. And, you know, it's getting four and a half stars. So it's endorsed as a health food. As I say, you've got bottled water getting two and a half stars and something like butter would get half a star if they um, did it. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, it, that that sort of system so, Openly perverse. Um, I've been saying for a decade that the emperor's naked. There, not wearing any clothes whatsoever. Yeah. You know, let's just call that out. It's yeah. so ridiculous. Um yeah. How But that come? shows you the power of the food industry.
0: That that's it, right? Yeah. 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 I, I yeah. It's something that I, as I became more aware of and more intentional for I was living, I started to kind of look at packaging and look at ingredients and. Never do I ever see a um, processed food that doesn't have at least like 10 ingredients in it. And that, that kind of became my, my um, metric to see. If ever I see a product, or well generally I don't ever get pro- processed foods, but if I'm feeling yeah. peckish, like I'm feeling like something like it's a date nut, like that Tom and Luke company, they produce these beautiful like dried nut balls and I actually kind of okay, but yeah. when I, I, generally when I try to break down what I'm wanting to select, I look at the ingredients if I, yeah. if I can make it out like within a glance yeah. yeah I might look at it more but if I can't I just put it back on the shelf yeah, but a lot of, yeah. lot of the time people's awareness I think it ties back again into the intentionality that it's not something they pay attention to
1: yeah and I suppose you know I think some dietitians and nutrition people have been saying this for a while now and I tend to agree with it if you know a basic selection criteria wasn't to look at anything on ingredients just going like it's in a packet bad luck um, yeah, you know, if it's if it's sort of food that doesn't need to go in a packet, then you know perhaps that's what I should be eating. Or um, though, in s- saying that, I mean, even that's sort of got out of hand. I can go to the supermarket now and a cucumber's even wrapped up in plastic. Yeah. So you know, who knows? But
0: everything's getting packaged up. Yeah, everything's now. getting packaged. Yeah. Um, you brought up a term earlier, and I've touched on this in a previous podcast, but I'd love to for you to kind of reiterate it. Is this idea of insulin resistance, and that you could almost say it's a, it's a it's a true epidemic across the world? And yeah. firstly, how do you, how can you actually describe insulin and what it means to be insulin resistance, and how this ties in with metabolic? dysfunction and ties in with you know heart disease where it ties in with all these multitudes of chronic diseases How does how this one mechanism here how does that function what is yeah, it yeah it's a
1: great question that's like um i'm keen to answer that yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah there's sort of several facets to that i suppose the first thing is that i think it was originally wrongly described it's like uh this you know insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas um you know, primary job is to um regulate sugar in the blood so it doesn't get too high um, and it'll take it away and push it, uh, open up glucose receptors on the cell wall and, and that glucose is free to move into cells if it's sort of needed for energy. Um, if it's not needed, then um, that glucose will generally be uh, stored as uh, glycogen in the liver. If that's fallen and it's not needed there, um, then it might be stored as fat in the liver or, or it could be stored as uh, fat in the cell so you know it can, there's, there's a variety of roles that insulin plays and so insulin is sort of like a storage hormone it's trying to move energy um, away and one of the reasons that's so important because when sugar gets high in the blood then it damages everything it touches right that's called glycation you get these advanced glycated end products so um, that's the problem of diabetics they can't uh, no matter how much insulin they produce, they can't get insulin to their cells, so they end up with high glucose, and that's that's the problem of diabetes, right? It okay. damages um, everything it touches, and um, the blood, and the blood touches everything. So, there's that? Um, it was originally thought that that just it wasn't really working properly. So, if you just gave people more insulin, then that would unlock the mechanism, and it would. Exogenous insulin. Yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. inject them with it yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but I think probably we now know that it's not really a very good model. Just,
0: uh, sorry to interject, how, how do they actually get insulin to exogenously to prescribe to people with diabetes? How do well, they, they originally
1: were um, getting it off human cadavers, and then they were killing pigs to do it. Oh, and, wow. Um, but no, the, in the 1950s, in the um, synthetic insulin was, mm. was invented so you can just uh, synthesise it. Okay. Um, but the problem with that is that uh, I think Jason Fung, who's a, a, Jason, a nephrologist in yes. Canada, who's pretty well known, describes it. But well, actually, it's not a problem of opening the glucose receptors. It's a f- fact that the cell's already full of energy. Hmm. Um, so you can imagine it like you're in your hotel room and you've um, got your suitcase all packed up, ready to go, and it's pretty full. And someone comes in and goes, "Hey, uh, look, I've got you know an extra s- six t-shirts. Can you take them home?" And you're like, "Well, I'm not going to fit them in, mate." ah, like, oh, you'll be right. So you sort of open up your bag and you stuff them in. Mm. And then someone else comes and goes, oh, you, look, I've got these um, extra board shorts. I've got six pieces of ice, you take those as well. And then you, you just can't fit them in. You're trying mm. to stand on the suitcase and stuff them in. You're just damaging everything. Um, it's more like what insulin resistance is. You can't, the cell's already full. Okay. You can't get them in. So, so the body's frantically producing more and more insulin to try and you know, get more yeah. into the suitcase. But... The problem with that, um, that's a condition called hyperinsulinemia, anemia, um, so high insulin. And high insulin, um, I would say is probably you know, a pretty prevalent condition that is pretty silent because the problem with insulin is it's a growth hormone, it's inflammatory, it's a storage, so you're gradually putting on weight, your blood, blood pressure is gradually going up. Um, you know, you've got these features in medicine they call metabolic syndrome. So um, and those are the known cause of every chronic disease but you haven't been either diagnosed with a chronic disease or been identified as even having pre-diabetes uh, and we've done quite a lot of work in that area actually that uh, one of my PhD students now Dr Catherine Crofts managed to track down an old guy in Chicago called uh, Joseph Kraft who was a pathologist and he'd been, he'd been giving people glucose drinks and measuring their response in their blood of insulin um, over five hours since the 1970s and uh, he had some 15,000 of these test results and he was describing a condition he was calling uh, what do you call it diabetes in situ in other words mm. people had metabolic problems but hadn't shown to have diabetes yet and so was they were insulin resistant they couldn't process they couldn't get rid of the extra carbohydrate, the extra sugar in their blood easily. Um, so they were overproducing insulin and that was causing them to eventually get sick 10, 20, 30 years down the road and um, she wrote a fantastic PhD, she's really the world leader in that field of insulin resistance and um, whatnot now, so um, yeah that's sort of the basic idea of insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's a few things you can do. You can improve insulin resistance by getting more insulin sensitive, and that's yeah, things like yeah. I was just
0: about to ask that. So what
1: yeah, you can you can improve it by um, exercising, you know, uh, breathing, you know, just just nasal breathing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Will completely change the response to th- yeah. to food you eat. A uh, good night's sleep makes you insulin sensitive. Um, yeah. You know, on the contrary, you know, poor night's sleep, stress, massively overlooked. Uh, you know, not enough sun, those all, uh, you know, a whole bunch of things in the diet all cause insulin resistance. Um, and some people are just naturally more insulin resistant than others, and that might not be a bad thing, but you put yeah. them in the modern world and they're going to rapidly put on weight, yeah. um, you know, whole ethnicities. So if you're for Pacific descent, you're probably pretty insulin resistant, which, you know, in a previous world wasn't a bad thing, right? You put on weight when food turns up, and if it's not there, you've got plenty of reserves. Yeah. Um, there's always famine, right? So you yeah, there's always that. famine to survive that, but they haven't got that. So, um, you know, for, if you're that way, then you've got to find a workaround to it, and one workaround is just to eat less glucose, eat less carbohydrate. So that's why mm. I'm such a fan of fasting and carbohydrate restriction. Yeah. For
0: so that's a, that's a real mechanism to allow your body to become um, more insulin sensitive. And in turn, it sounds like when you're insulin sensitive, you could could argue but you could almost directly correlate that it will make you metabolically flexible.
1: Yeah, so you can get that flexibility yeah. back and you can burn fat again and yeah. Because because you can only be metabolically flexible like we talked about earlier when insulin's low. Yes. When yeah. insulin's high, you can't burn fat.
0: Because you've got too much essentially glycogen circulating in your yeah, body You've
1: got glucose, you're trying to get rid of it. Yeah, so yeah, that's of your priority. Yeah. So that's the that that's the sort of biology underneath all that, right?
0: I find that um, the more I fast, the more I it makes me realise how our ancestors, how it feels so primarily, feels so primally correct. I don't even know if I'm, that's the correct yeah, word. Yeah, I think that's, that's that it, fair it, it, may, it makes so much sense because you think that in our hunter-gatherer tribes that would go out for a hunt, would acquire an antelope or some animal of some kind, eat the fat, eat the organs, probably stumble across some fruit, some honey if we we're lucky, yeah. probably just the meat we had, and then we may not eat for two, three days. Yeah. And it makes sense why your body utilising the ketones yeah. tends, we touched on it before, how it makes you cognitively sharper. Is, why is that, first of all? Why do you? Why is it that your body and your brain can seem to function at a high level when you're in a ketogenic state? or yeah. well, not even necessarily in a ketogenic yeah, a state, point, where you've got it? higher ketones circulating.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, because it's like, yeah, you, you cognitively to improve, and I suppose it makes sense to be sharp when you're um, unfed, not stupid, uh, as well. I think one interesting thing that I, could, that I notice, I'm not sure if there's anything in this theory, but um, when I go for these multi-day fasts, um, I still wake up feeling rested from my sleeps, but my sleep's way lighter. I sort of feel like I'm ready to wake up at any moment and mm. you know, catch any random food that comes past me. Um, which is
0: interesting up. anecdote. I, I have the exact same experience because I've got this watch. I t- take it off airplane mode, people, yep. when I sleep, because I don't want the extra EMFs. But I notice that when I'm not fasting versus when I do a long term fast, the way my heart rate happens to lower and stabilize, but the yep. depth of my sleep yeah that makes so much sense that you're probably ready to pounce
1: yeah yeah that, well you know. that's my theory i'm not sure if there's any you know <laughs> way of testing that scientifically but it sounds reasonable. Eh?
0: so if, so on, on that note when it comes to like um say you've got like a hypothesis and you want to um do a study on a certain cohort and you've got a presenter and one like what's the first process when it comes to like beginning a study like what is the first like stages to get there because for me oh uh, yeah yeah i i read I read um scientific journals and some papers and then some some of the hypotheses, and well the abstracts to be specific. Yeah. I'm like, how did this even get to the end point? But yeah. I, I I'm never really sure as to how that process is. Is there a lot of like Well, I've got no idea what? how other
1: people do it, but I'll tell you how I do it. Yeah. Um, is of find some new idea. Either it might be interesting that it's on a podcast or someone's doing it or um yeah, it's just seems like a good idea Um, it's usually the opposite of what people have been doing like oh yeah okay i've heard about fasting i'm going to do that or you know i'm going to cut out this i'm going to try this i'm going to try this type of exercise i just do it on myself um and (laughs) see what happens so that's you've got to start always start there right yeah and then i'll generally screw it up um, (laughs) and you know go oh yeah i need to do this not that so i'll refine it a bit over a month or two and then I'll try and generally convince a few other people to do it that I know, you know, like my older kids or my wife or I don't know, just other friends I know or athletes mm. I coach, i trying try and convince mm. them to do it and see what happens there mm. and that's sort of interesting and I'll do more reading about it. So that's the sort of first stage and most people are curious enough, many people are curious enough about the world to do that sort of research, right? You don't need to go to the Ethics Committee, you don't need to of be course. a professor. You're just trying it, see what happens. Um, and then you go okay well actually i wonder what would happen if we studied this a bit further and we you know we're a bit more robust about studying this so i might um do a sort of feasibility type study so it doesn't really cost anything um you might get a master's student onto it or uh, something so like
0: feasibility, that feasibility so is that whether or not it's like a plausible yeah
1: can, well people even do it okay um and you know what happens when you do it what measures would you use that are going to be robust around it you know we're going to measure heart rate variability Are we going to measure mood are we going to uh, you know, put devices on to measure uh, activity. Are we going to how are we going to take photos of the food? So that's another thing to do. And then you go, okay, so I'm going to now. I'm, I'm I'm prepared to do a big study on this where I actually, you know, randomise people to this group or that group, and that is going to require actually like a fair bit of money. Mm. And so then I try and um, it's kind of
0: committee board is that usually how oh so hang on so that so
1: that, that would go to like say the health research council in new zealand or something to okay. s- you know you try and get some money out of them so we've just got a big study funded there or you might have someone else be involved in funding that. and then when you've even when you've got that then you've still got to actually go to the ethics review board and they have got to go oh yeah you can mm-hmm. do that because it's like you can't just randomly of course do stuff to people um they've got to consent and there's you know sort of conditions around doing that properly yeah. and storing the data and um So, you know, it's actually quite a long process. By the time that actually turns into a scientific paper published in a good journal, it can be years, well, it is years down the track. And it
0: needs to be peer-reviewed, right, for it to be published? Yeah, well, peer-review
1: is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's like um, often the part of that, it goes to the boys' club and the people who already had that idea agree with it and the people who, you know, we we had a lot of trouble with our low-carb and fasting stuff when we were first Mm. publishing it because they didn't want to publish it. But that's sort of changed now so contrary to the yeah well it's comment. like yes contrary views are hard to get up
0: absolutely um, how, how do you grapple with that grant like
1: oh because it just I, annoys you
0: yeah well in terms of like when you approach it because I'm assuming when you started as you just touched on when you released your book I imagine that would have been quite triggering to a lot of the people in that establishment
1: that didn't help my research funding career yeah like I think um, the work we were doing before we Publishes what the FAT series, my lab have been really successful. I like, had about like 20-odd million dollars worth of funding over that a decade. Wow. Yes, yeah, so it was pretty good. Um, that sort of evaporated to nothing, frankly. But um, it's only been in the last couple of years we've got back on that ladder again, and like, it definitely damaged that thing. But on the same hand, you know, a lot of scientific grants, um, fund research where the answer's already known, you know, um, or it's going to be the same old stuff. Uh, I mean, you've got to remember, just to show the perversity of the system, that I'm not familiar with the exact details of this, so I might just get this slightly wrong if anyone knows anything better about this. But the guy um, in the 1950s that was proposing plate tectonics, you know, the idea that the world's got the plates and they move around and all that sort of stuff, and he was laughed out of science for, you know, for the best part of a decade as being a complete nutcase. You know it just turns out to be the entire way the planet works it's crucial to the way the planet works mm. you know it seems reasonably obvious everyone like I don't know, primary school mm. kids probably know mm. that we've got plates mm. in the earth but you know that's only 70 years ago uh you sort of forget
0: it's it's, it's <laughs> the most common theme nowadays as soon as you're in this establishment or in this sector and as soon as you step out and t- stick your head up, you're seen as a pariah. And yeah. as soon as it goes against how the whole structure or establishment in which you reside in is based on, yeah. and you send ripples in that, that you are always attacked, you'll always tend to be shunned. And yeah. it's a common pattern throughout history. Again, like Galileo, that's what made yeah. me think of when you mentioned that example of the tectonic yeah. plate um, founder, I guess, or the one that realized it existed that Same yeah. thing with Galileo, you know, yeah. he was deemed a heretic and essentially killed. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Fast forward, what, 100 years, 200 years? And now it's like, well, you could tell someone now, and we we're like, we're not at the centre of the universe, and everyone's like, yeah, I know, but 400 years ago. Well,
1: I'll I, I tell you one thing that was interesting. I was, ended up watching one of these, you know, like you stream stuff to your TV. I've got this, I was watching this, I think it was on Disney, this show called Genius, which is really the story of Albert Einstein. Um, and it's a fabulous little series. You know, it's just really following his life. Um, but yeah, I mean, he theory of relativity, all this stuff, and he just laughed out of the place. It's like the guy's, nah, crazy. Then it turns out he's like the smartest scientist of all time. Hmm. Um, And then he's in the club. Um, But I suppose the most interesting thing that people don't realize about Einstein, you know, towards the end of his life, um, you know, there's all the new theories that actually superseded his, the string theory and all that, and he was like, nah, they're all wrong. So he, you know, (laughs) even Einstein, as great as he was, ended up
0: Fell victim to that.
1: Fell victim to his own dissonance at the end of it, you know, like, mm. so, you know, these aren't new things. Of course. But when then we're constantly surprised by them and then horribly frustrated. You know, maybe, maybe they're worse now, like, I've, I've sort of a little bit disillusioned with the role that a university has in society, like, I think, especially over that COVID time, you sort of go, well, you're just an outreach limb of the government now. Um, you know, historically, scientists never agree on anything. Uh, you know. That's
0: what I couldn't um, wrap my head around because I'm, I'm not the smartest cookie, but I was looking at it and I'm like, but the scientific method is always about constantly proving, disproving, and yeah. bettering yeah. each person's hypothesis and then proving it and then realising all oh, this is wrong, but then building upon it. Yet yeah, it seemed that that whole,
1: that whole vaccine development, we're rolling it out to everyone, no evidence of that. Be all, pun. end all. Yeah. What? yeah. They hadn't done the safety trials in a way that were what well, I would, you know, like had been done ever before, um, you know, to, this, the burden of harm versus benefit needs to be, you know, really well established and that had, just hadn't been that done. hadn't been done. Um, yet everyone bought into it and, you know, all the academics and how people could have been on you know, national TV in virtually every country going, we're modeling. You know, these disasters, get it completely wrong, revise it again the next get week, get it completely wrong again, and just get it completely wrong for years and still, you know, those are regarded as scientific opinions. That, that whole COVID experience has sort of left me a bit scarred with the whole scientific yeah, process, to be has. honest. It
0: has. D- definitely, in just the way the whole approach of um, public health is addressed, that again, it goes back to the health star thing and it goes back to the fact that New Zealand is the 22nd most obese country in the world. Yeah. The fact that every 90 minutes someone dies of, um, it has a cardiovascular episode in New yeah. Zealand alone. Like, those, those were the things, because I, I was in the midst of it, as all of us were, but I was like, well, it just doesn't feel right. And I yeah. did a bit of digging and I sat with a lot of the statistics and read through data, which, again, that could have been skewed. But yeah. presenting my point is that There was already a massive fire and that wasn't being addressed and all of a sudden this new fire that arose that was obviously novel. However, there was still this huge fire being brewed and then yet it's like people um, obtained amnesia and forgot about that and because they were in a state of chaos and a state of war it's like their fight or flight responses went up and they almost blocked out rationale and it's like these the scientific method just became quashed and it was all reaction based.
1: Yeah. It's astonishing to be you know, a, a living adult through that stuff and see that for real because you know, you read about this in other times of human history and you go, Wow, how is that possible? I suppose we've seen how that's possible. Um, that's all I can say about it. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, mm. well, here well, we I are. Mean, I, this I, I was, the thing that frustrated me about yeah. that whole thing is that you know, over the entire time that we had that COVID epidemic, you know. No one's discussed being healthy.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: You know, let's get fitter, eat better, yeah. um, sleep better, connect better. Um, Drink yeah.
0: fricking, I didn't hear that once. Drink water. Yeah. Just water alone, like hydrate. Hydration is yeah, yeah. just, probably... Just, just,
1: yeah, just, just be a normal functioning, proper yeah. human being. Like, um, and we had an opportunity not just to you know, defend ourselves from a virus that you know, might have done harm to some people, mm. um, but just yeah, the other raging fire of, what did you call it before, it was just burning over the other part. Um, It's just got bigger in the meantime so yeah it's like it's a gosh I don't know what people think about that yeah Yeah.
0: I think a lot of people have come to different senses with it now in retrospect and I think next time anything comes like that I think the precedent's been set and certain people might be able to be like wow nah but we'll see well it's a whole nother kettle of fish to kind of go down um Grant I also want to talk a bit about when it comes to the um the food pyramid, we touched on it briefly, and I guess you, you kind of answered it in a way about the way that the that agricultural sector is kind of in, are the ones that are presenting what the food pyramid is, and other the ones that are funding the companies that I'm assuming are yeah. doing the research as to why it is important to have grains and breads, and all those at the base of your daily food, and then as you get higher above it, there's meats is less. Yeah. Um, Oils and good fats is less. Veggies, yeah. Yeah, they I almost kind of agree. Yeah, they v- kept the same place. Eh? Yeah, they tend to be, but yeah. how, how, how is this, like, still a thing? Like, how, how is it that that is, that is the established consensus that this is the agricultural food pyramid, this is how we must eat? How is it that it is still a thing? And, you know, again, we look at the state of our world now and in the 1970s and the 1950s, people were freaking all lean they're almost all jacked they look like athletes lean machines and (laughs) see images now i'm in the supermarket and i'm not judging but i'm just purely observing and so many people are obese and overweight and it hurts to see because it's almost not their fault They're almost a victim of the surroundings or and it goes back to that evolutionary mismatch thing is that if we're given food um in a supermarket that's all packaged and you eat it and it just is a absolute explosion of taste and sensations of goodness and yet it's killing you because the insulin piece is probably just (laughs) spiking that up and you become metabolically imbalanced that uh, how is how is that still established this food pyramid and you know if you could expand on why almost reversing it is probably the wise thing to do yeah it sounds like you're it's
1: interesting isn't it I mean, when you talk about the different people, so um, people out there, when I, in 1977, when the uh, US Department of Agriculture, not US Department of Health, came up with the idea of the food pyramid and the base of the grains, and that was the key to heart health, you know, on the back of Ansel Key's a couple of decades of research sort of demonising fat, um, I, I was a nine year old boy, and I could go back and look at my nine year old primary school photo then, and it's a profoundly different slice of humanity, you know, that's, you know, by modern standards, these kids are looking underfed, uh, you know, there might have been one slightly overweight kid in each class, um, but, you know, everyone else, including the teacher, were in good shape, you go into a modern classroom, which we do all the time, and it's a completely different story, um, and you go, well, who cares what the, you know, government told us to eat anyway, well, actually, I think, you know, in this case, what the US Department of Agriculture did, which ended up you know, by 1983 that was policy and australia new zealand uk canada and the rest of the world's fired it means that you know the perversity of what you get served in a hospital now if you're sick you know, i don't know if anyone's been in a hospital in australia and new zealand recently but it's just disgusting um yeah, you can literally be served sugar at the moment you're diagnosed with diabetes uh, <laughs> Yeah, wound healing and everything else, just you know, the more sugar you eat, the worse you do. Um, it's what we feed uh, prisoners, it's what we feed people at government functions and it's what gets served up in or not at schools. So it does actually matter and it's what the food industry can legitimately run with uh, and pass by the public. So that that problem in 1977, it was never settled then, the McGovern Commission that was doing it at the time, there was debate, they were going, there's no evidence for this, and they go, well, we can't wait for the evidence, we need to get ahead of this, you know, which, who does that in science? Uh, you know, we've heard that again recently, with co- we can't That's wait for the evidence, we've got to get ahead of the game. So, in the end, you would think that confronted with, you know, a couple of decades now of research going, actually, if you do almost the exact opposite of this, you get better metabolic outcomes that would revise it. But actually, that's not what's happened. Um, it's almost I, like it's doubled down. It's doubled down and yeah. it's moved into this Eat Lancet type stuff, which is actually going, oh, it was never about that. It's also about the health of the planet. And yes. you know, so it actually needs to be even lower fat. And we need to stop eating animals. And I, and I do agree with the way that we're treating farm animals is pretty shit. And I don't condone that, but you can't monocrop either agriculture. you have got to have mm. to have some sort of combination of mm. animal and... Biodiversity, farm, right? If, if farming that regenerative agriculture mm. I'm a big fan of. Mm. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in it, but mm. um, that type of way of thinking is... I mean, it seems obvious morphologically and functionally that humans are omnivorous. And yes. uh, so... You know, and ultra-processed food is that is the is the problem but yet we've doubled down on guidelines that are talking about animals as the problem and i just find that you know why aren't we talking about ultra processed food my mm. oh, goodness it's just a bizarre situation and you know public health re- recommendations now yeah. uh you know, the world health organization who i've worked for still down that track you know the new zealand government who i've worked for still down that track it's just yes yeah, heartbreaking
0: why is there this in, immense demonization on um, meat consumption? Like, is is it the fact that um, there is the the idea that it's it's the cause of climate change, and now that's becoming a whole tool of leverage? No, well, the it's argument? a tool of leverage, but I think yeah. it goes,
1: definitely goes a bit further than that. I reckon.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And the meat meat consumption number. Have you done much um, investigations or studies or? Have you come across? Um, I'm assuming you have, but papers on the efficacy of um, higher, so more like carnivorous ways of eating. Animal oh, yeah, yeah, well, ca-
1: carnivore. I mean, tried, I've tried doing carnivore a few times. Yeah. Um, felt pretty good actually. Yeah. And um, I, I, in actual fact, um, I don't know, people are going to be alarmed by this, but I got the whole family doing carnivore, which included at that stage like a ten-year-old you know, boy and an 18 18- and 19-year-old. Yeah. Um, uh, and the interesting thing about that is they were, you know, tending towards junk food as kids of that age do. Yes, um,
0: it's hard not to in this Yeah,
1: p- put them on the carnivore diet and then they came back from the carnivore diet after a couple of weeks going, oh, we were a bit bored with just eating meat, and so they like, the idea of vegetables and that were like, oh, cool. <laughs> they were chomping them down, so it was <laughs> one way of doing it. But yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I'd preface that saying definitely way more research needs to be done on yeah, carnivore diets. Of course, diets, but, of course. Um, it's surprising when you do the exact opposite of that, yeah. of, of plant-based and animal-based, that some people can yeah. really thrive.
0: Why, why do you think there's that demonization of it, though? Sh- especially from the Heart Foundation, it's the one that I really struggle to sit with, is that, again, I think evolutionarily. I don't try to be too myopic and black and white, but... Yeah. I know what my ancestors came from, and I'm, I'm of Croatian descent, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Givantiums, gy- I believe, was a subsect of, spe- of human beings and the average height of them was six foot two. Is that right? The, yeah, their, yeah. Their main means of food was meat. They didn't have crops. Yeah. They, they maybe hunted some seafood and they probably stumbled across berries and honey, but yeah. vegetables wasn't part of the equation and they would have just been having meat. And they, they were big, thriving. And they were thriving, exactly. Yeah. They're all generally six foot yeah. two. That in itself says a lot about 60,000 years yeah. ago. And, like, again, that demonization of this meat and the fact that it's um, got this correlation to heart disease. And then, as I dug deeper into the weeds of it, that they're looking, they're doing these um, baseline studies of studying the area of people or a subgroup of they're basically doing these meta analyses. And they're looking at people's um, like it's kind of like those general, um, those general. Oh, what do you call the words? Left my left my. When you do those general kind of like, uh, fricking global like uh, data sheets where you're you're marking whether or not you eat meat, or you're marking yep, whether yep. or not you're a vegetarian. Mark yep. you like those yeah, analysis yeah. analyses, and they lumped being a meat eater into having a higher risk of uh, cancer, higher risk of heart disease. But then as you got deeper into it, you realise that they're basically correlating these people that are most likely smokers, drinkers, eat processed foods. They, and yeah, the meat more, they more risky behaviours, more car Exactly, and yeah. the meat, the meat they're eating is McDonald's meat or it's hamburger meat. Yeah. But then they don't differentiate the healthy user bias with the people that are more risk averse and live a more health conscious lives tend to be more plant based, tend to do more yoga, they tend to not drink, they tend to not do risky activities and that there's like this, they've kind of like morphed it all together and they've made all this data muddy. Well,
1: especially when you had 50 years of recommendations to eat, not eat it. Yeah, yeah um, so. I suppose, I suppose I think, um, you know, the reality is that the American Dietetics Situation, uh, Association, so you know, where dietitians as a profession came from, Uh, And then the roots of the Seventh-day Adventist church and the religious stuff is an important anti-meat lobby. Um, You know, that's not supposition or conspiracy, that's just a fact. um, Because they felt that uh, eating meat invigorated you and gave you impure sexual thoughts. You know, well, um, that writing is clear, you can go and look at that historically. um, And they're still acting in that way. Um, so there's that fact and then I think Keyes, Ansel Keyes with his fat yeah. and saturated fat research really put the nail in the coffin for that and you know there's just powerful forces around that so like uh, but I in some ways if, you know like people um, like I like animals I don't want to yeah. suffer and kill them and of course. Um, perhaps i I have to go and kill every single animal um, then I wouldn't eat so much meat but um, on the other hand if you look at our evolution leg- legacy, it's a different thing, so we did and have done that, and that's part of that cycle of life, yet we've somehow got it. you know, you look at what they do in the States where they f- the feed lot mm. um, cows, um, you look at what we would do in this country with the way we farm pigs and chickens, it's pretty disgusting. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I don't really support that, frankly. Yeah. As um, the answer to not eating any animals, I don't think you're going to thrive as a human doing that.
0: It's very black and white and reductionist, yeah. I find. Yeah. Um, so the, the Ansel Keys um, piece, that's, that's a study I'd been aware of. And that was kind of what you said, the, that was the tipping point in the whole fat phobia around, when was it? The 80s, you, as you said? I think it
1: was probably was it? Keys was more like um, late 50s. Because remember, yeah. Keys, Ansel Keys, actually, his interesting background is that he, he in, during the Second World War, he did a couple of things. Uh, the, they changed the way they gave American soldiers rations. They went from armies in the history of humans had been really fed on protein and fat until that point, and he introduced the K ration, which was really a you know, highly processed, high sugar, high carb type of uh, ration pack for soldiers. And there was I don't know three billion of those produced in World War Two, and they really continue with that. So you know, the New Zealand Army, Australian Army now feed on a very similar thing and we've done research on that actually, and I think there's about 50 teaspoons of sugar in one day's ration pack for a New Zealand soldier, 4,000 calories, yeah, it's just junk food really. Um, and so those persist. And then Keyes also got interested about what would happen if you starve people. And so the Minnesota starvation experiment operated through World War II and some men were starved for, for six months. And, you know, basically I think the main conclusion you can get from that is that they survived um, but without proper nutrients, uh, their mental health suffered terribly, which is really an emerging field um, back now. Um, but then post-World War II, he, he started turning around Europe, and post-World War II, the leading cause of death was not war, it was coronary artery disease, and he, he supposed that the diet had something to do with that, and um, his conclusion was it was fat, particularly saturated fat from animal products that was causing that, and How did he draw that correlation? Well, initially, and it's hard to, like, there's quite a lot of yeah. uh, conspiracy around the, what was the six-country study that he published on, yeah. that he chose the six countries that you know, had Japan at one end at a very low amount of, uh, you know, post-World War II Japan, it was fish and, you know, lots of vegetables and a low amount of meat because it was just a country that was on its economic knees and they didn't have high amounts of uh, ischemic heart disease. And at the other end, you had, countries like the United States who were, you know, eating a lot more of that and had more heart disease and, mm. and said, well, those are, these are the six countries and look at this association. Yeah. Um, critics now would go, actually there was 23 countries data available at the time and you plot all of those on, there's, n- there's no relationship whatsoever. And, you know, if you took something like modern Europe, um, then you see the countries that have the most fat intake and saturated fat intake actually have the lowest heart disease and the ones uh, like the sort of Eastern Bloc countries mm-hmm. that have the Lowest intake and the highest polyunsaturated intake have the highest mm. heart disease. So, you know, it's really a bit of a okay, flaw.
0: So he's approaching it like correlation as opposed to causation. Yeah, yeah, no, that's been, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And well, then his lipid hypothesis was that eating animal fat raises your cholesterol, which it does. And um, because cholesterol is, you know, in some populations associated with more heart disease, then the fat must cause the heart disease, which is sort of a bridge too far, scientifically, really.
0: What's the function of cholesterol?
1: Um, so it's not really, well, cholesterol, the way they're talking what? about cholesterol isn't even cholesterol, yeah, it's yeah, lipoproteins. Mm. Um, but cholesterol is one of, so lipoproteins are sort of a vessel that, that transport uh, nutrients around the body. Yeah. They mainly contain uh, fat, triglycerides, which can yeah. be used for energy, and they drop them off around the body when they're exported from the liver. And they also contain cholesterol, which is a a uh, product that's essential for for the function of every cell in the body. You need cholesterol to build the cell wall, um, mm. and you need you know, that's this sort of lipid bilayer. And so, yeah, it's really an essential um, part of that, rather than being a cause of heart disease, in my opinion.
0: Mm. Yeah yeah it's it's fascinating stuff i always like to think of cholesterol as kind of like it's kind of like the the carpet between you and the cold concrete floor it's all immense necessity and it's if it's around everywhere you tend to going to have a smoother (laughs) smoother yeah i mean the trouble with
1: cholesterol is this when when you develop atherosclerotic plaques you know so like these these foam cells that turn into macrophages from macrophages into and the arteries and the arteries and yeah. blood vessels and stuff, which are the cause of heart disease, um, then cholesterol accumulates there, um, you know, not, and some people will say it's a little like accusing, uh, going, well, whenever there's a fire around the city, we see firemen there um, because, you know, firemen come to put the fires out and cholesterol comes to fix up the inflammation and damage, um, so it's not really so much the cause, but it's, it's a, certainly, and involved in the process
0: Mm. okay i'd love to um yeah i don't want to take too much of your time gran i appreciate it
1: yeah awesome
0: i'm glad (laughs) i want to i'd like to talk um more about now where you're going forward with you you being a professor that that side of your things and i'd love to talk about pre-cure um prevention is cure or it we're kind of uh, riffing on how cool mm. name it is but yeah, it's cool if you could expound on that a bit more and like explain to the listener and, like what it would be what's involved if you are if anyone is interested in kind of pursuing and going down this path of more you could say it's a bit more intentionality but yeah. also wanting to educate oneself but also at the same time educating the the community you know
1: yeah i suppose mm. like, um yeah, one of the frustrating things about doing research is that it you know, often doesn't turn into any sort of practice. Mm. Um, and so across all of my interests, that's, I sort of felt disappointed about that. You know, since I started doing this stuff, we've got fatter, sicker, less fit, eat a worse diet, got more diabetic. So it's like, well, what impact are you actually having? Mm. Um, and so, you know, one of those things that I felt important to be able to do something like that. So Precure has been involved with that. So I've done a bunch of things over the years with Precure, but I think there's sort of 14 of us health professionals and academics that, started it up and it's been you know, primarily about advocating for that idea of prevention is cure, that you know, fitness is medicine, foods medicine, sleeps medicine, friends is medicine. You know, those primary treatments are being forgotten. So we've done a bunch of, you know, of challenges and things over the years with that. But um, in the end, um, we felt that one of the missing pieces in the health system were that you could train people up um, who are passionate about that sort of thing. Um, to either be health coaches, uh, which has become really a quite a increasingly key part of the health system, um, because, you know, for one, our general practice and uh, nurse workforce is ageing and retiring, and we can expect, you know, half of them to be not here in 10 years because they're retired, um, and we're not able to replace them. Uh, so they're becoming an increasingly important part of that, and then I've sort of gone on to do so we, we've trained and accredited health coaches, got the Australia-New Zealand National Association of that going as well to sort of um, oversee the fact that we're going to do this properly. And, yeah, that sort of flourished in Australia as well. We're in Australia, but there's other providers in Australia. And then I've sort of gone on with this idea of advanced learning there, which is I teach the Certificate of Advanced Nutrition, which is really health coaching, but with you know, more... Focus on nutrition. I sort of felt I could do a better job of that there than I could at the university. Yeah, because we, get, we just can of be the... f- fast moving and flexible no, with it. You know? Yeah, and then um, more recently we've launched our mental health coaching, which sort of fits into that mental health space. Because I've been really frustrated with mental health um, about yeah, you know, sort of the bottomless pit that is, and then just having people that I know that have ended up with poor mental health and they're complete, they can't access a psychologist. You know, you gotta wait nine months. Um, they don't do a very good job anyway. Well, that's not universally true, but some, often of they course. don't. Um, and yeah, so that sort of whole health coaching thing's really already exploded. And then, you know, in the end, I suppose, I think of workforce development and health isn't gonna be, you know, we need doctors, that's great, but can we train them and this type of medicine, so we'll have doctors coming along and doing the courses as well, or mm. other health professionals, nurses, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's been Precure is a great journey. Uh, and How could people find it if they were? Uh, so, Precure or the com. So, Precure is with a K for cure, dot com um, mm. And yeah, there's a bunch of free stuff on there as well as the, the courses themselves and mm. you know, a variety of entry points. But yeah, I just, um, I'm really proud of what part I've played. I'm the chief scientist there, not the chief runner of the organisation. There's plenty of other people way better than me at that stuff. Um, so, you yeah, know, my job's really just to make sure what we're doing is um, not just cutting edge, but hopefully bleeding edge. Um, yeah, we review all our curriculum every two years on all our courses, um, you know, compare that to what we do at uni. So I'm just, you know, constantly trying to improve mm. what we can. Um, help people get and and you can do it quickly with all the bureaucracy and the bullshit of Of yeah I I don't want to say unis too much but because I work for one still but you know what other organization um, has its staff parked right at the front but the customers fend for themselves down the road you know whilst accumulating a a debt that you know one of the only unforgivable debts in society is your Mm. student loan Mm. um, and you know basically live in poverty while they're studying I mean Mm. it's a obscene situation
0: mm. yeah it's obscene model <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: it's kind of just become the norm yeah, yeah. exactly and or you mm. have to go through that to actually become an adult really mm. uh.
0: so to kind of echo your own words is your well-being focused and you're focused on disease prevention just to kind of synthesize is yeah well if you're going to live
1: a, live a life you might as, well have, yeah. might as well be full of healthy healthy life absolutely yeah
0: so for those listening just to kind of present uh Simplified and digestible, and in, in, uh, um, technique and approach that you can grasp. What would be like the most important steps to start that journey, or if you're already on the journey, just to kind of reiterate the importance of what to continue to do. What, how would you approach that?
1: Oh, for me or for everyone else, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'm assuming for
0: you, you're wanting to live the most health oriented and yeah. way. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I think. But for yeah. the listener. You know? Yeah, I
1: mean the the. You know i just like being fit fitness is medicine like that's yeah. that's the first thing for me if you're not physically fit um even if your diet's good it's like good luck with that um okay like physical what does f- that
0: entail when you say fitness what is fitness
1: uh i think there's some complexity of that, depending of on where you start but but you know there's there's components of fitness people talk about the six components of fitness like stamina so endurance so the ability to endure and actually Go for a while. As a, you know, humans have had to do that to survive on the planet. So, you know, so I'm such a big fan of easy endurance exercise. Um, you need to be strong enough to do those functions as well. So there's a strength component. You need to be agile and flexible enough to move in a range of movement that allows that. You know, so fitness has like multiple components. You need to have, uh, you know, enough psychological prowess to actually get off the couch and do it. So the component that fitness is a not to be taken lightly, disciplined, that you know, if every human is a student of fitness, which they probably should be, there's actually a fair bit to learn. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I'm going to the gym, well, what does that mean? Or you know, I'm going for a walk, yeah, those things could be good but the complexity of being fit yeah. enough to be a fully functioning human actually yeah. requires a bit of thinking and study to be honest. Yeah. Um, and yeah the fitness industry has its own vices as well, where it sells you stuff so mm. so fitness is medicine, food is medicine, obviously I think we've talked a fair bit about that yeah. that you know if you even if you're fit, you' are still eating junk food, good luck with that as well mm. um and then sleep is medicine, so even if you're fit eating well if you're not paying attention to to you know sleeping when it's dark and waking up when it's light, then good luck good luck with that, so those are the first three then even above that all those things in place. If you've not got some meaning and purpose um, in life uh, and um, you haven't got a social network that you can connect with, well, good luck with all of those. So those sort of five yeah. things are like, uh, they're not, by, by themselves are all important, but they're also all compulsory to a healthy Absolutely. life. And that requires, that's like willful effort, man. You Absolutely. know, to be to be physically fit enough to, you know, be a thriving human, to eat well enough to be a thriving human, to get your sleep organised enough to, um, find something that gives you some enough meaning and purpose um, to believe that you, I imagine you do, I do, I, I know we both probably believe that our best work's still ahead of us yeah. um, and to do that with other people, like that's, that's, Absolutely. that's sort of important man, yeah. um, but almost, not easy.
0: Yeah, it's almost a uh, birthright because we're born in this time for a reason, you know, seven Billion souls in this planet at one time and evolutionarily it's a complete mismatch but here we are and we're in this volatile environment yet we've got to now be more intentional and I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from this is it's intentionality that if you aren't living intentionally you're just going to be running the treadmill and just be
1: a rat on the wheel yeah and be a good gift to, like, leave the world in a slightly better place than, than you started, right? That would be cool, because, like, not everyone's done that in, in the history of humans, to be fair. Um, so to be able to do that would be, that's a, that would be a cool thing to about to achieve. I don't know if, you yeah. know, either you or me are going to get there, but hopefully.
0: It's a true, it's what this whole podcast is about, living in yeah, service. Right. I'm truly trying to leave something behind that may have even just yeah. a a minutia of a percent of the difference on the way <laughs> yeah. the world is and I am, I'm going to die happy. And yeah,
1: and, and rather than the other side which has been destructive to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and for anyone wanting to find your books and whatnot, where would they find?
1: Yeah, there's just What the Fat Books, yeah. Google that up and you can grab them. There's a Acronym, there's
0: WTF, I love it. WTF,
1: them. yeah, don't don't Google that otherwise you end up in bad shape. <laughs> um, but yeah, What the Fat Books have been. That's been a good journey as well, you know, like yeah. the, um yeah, you know, there's been a few hundred thousand of those go out the door somewhere um, yeah. to different people. I've actually peoples.
0: got all three. Sport one, the um, the original text and the yeah. one where it has like the, what, the fast where you're kind of... Yeah. So like, good, reads,
1: good C- reads. Can I tell you a story about that, the, the one that made my day, the thing yeah. that made my day the most out of that, right? So, um, in my era of being a teenager, there was a, you know, there was Billy Idol. I don't know if you've heard of Billy Idol. Yeah. but. Yeah, you know, white wedding and rebel yep. yell and all this, you know. So um, a couple of years ago, there was a Billy Idol concert in Auckland. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go to that. Yeah, it's like, this is my youth, man. So I'm over at Western Springs at this Billy Idol concert. And, um, you know, they have these sort of public toilet things that you go to, which are pretty gross at, at, you know, these sort of concerts. Anyway, I'm in this you know, thing having a pee, you know, men's toilets when you're having a pee. You're not talking to the guy next year, right? That's not a thing you do. Um, a guy rocks up next to me, and he's like, oh, bro. He's just standing there taking his pee as well, and then he's like, oh, I know you. I'm like, oh, my God. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you wrote that, what, the fat book? I oh, know you, you're Grant Schofield. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, and then so we sort of exited out, and then he goes, oh, and then he introduced something. He goes, oh, yeah, I lost, like, you know, 45 kilos, and my wife lost 35, and, you know, totally changed our life, and it's friggin' awesome. Um, but it's just a classic of Billy Idol. <laughs> Billy Idol concert, yeah. But at the you know, like it's just like awesome. yeah, you know, talking about the most socially unappropriate place to speak right. is you know in the urinal away Yeah, the urinal in the men's toilets. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: well, there you are. You definitely left the earth in some state of being yeah, better. Yeah, so, I, feel like, better, so I felt good about myself You left the garden in a better place. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> so I think that's that's the power of this, of this journey, and especially if you're doing something where you are, where it's intentional and there's value and meaning to it and you're adding value to people's lives, is that when you know that you've touched just one soul, I find that... There's an eminence there that just persists.
1: And that's why we should all persist with this stuff and that anyone who wants to do that health coaching or, you know, just get on their own journey helping other people, they definitely should. When I first wrote that first What the Fat book, I was like, it's quite a lot of work, frankly, and I was like, oh, jeez, is this going to be worth it? And then I was like, oh, look, if it helps one person, I suppose it's worth it. Um, And so that was my original filter, you know, Hmm. and since, you know, a few hundred thousand went out, you're like, okay, well, that's good. Um, but, But, yeah, you're like, if you hadn't, you've got to definitely start with that filter right yep. because if you don't if you start with bigger plans than that then you're probably getting ahead of yourself
0: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I agree well <laughs> professor um I thank you for your time, and that was a good 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 timing of that message um <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you again appreciate you um giving up your time in your home, but i think this yeah i hope i think all this podcast will start to um rattle a few people's brains because it's important that we're having this conversation now and we touched on it in this whole um COVID climate now that i think it's more now more than ever that people need to start taking ownership of their health yeah you can reach out to people around you and above you go to doctors yes but it needs to start with you and yeah. you having the willingness to want to change because if you don't want to change then no change is going to happen
1: no and then your life's going to be worse
0: Yeah. (laughs) So who who the fuck wants that? (laughs) Really and
1: so you could have a great life but it actually requires some attention. Yeah. Um, and the hard bits make the good bits worthwhile, so yeah. 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 Beautiful. Thanks Stefan, it's been good.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. How did we go? Family? How was that conversation? What did you think? What did you feel? What came up? Were a lot of questions answered for you? Listening back to it, I realised that there was a lot of stones unturned. And I felt that we could go deeper into so many areas that we touched on in this conversation. So I'm kind of leaving that in the air and hoping that Grant and I can sit down again and discuss deeper um, more from the approach of implementing for a higher fat, lower carb way of living for athletes and for people that are wishing to actually live a healthier life and be healthier to explain more of the mechanisms and how it is you do that so i'm glad this conversation was put out there because i feel it sets a foundation that we can build upon grant and i he's already got so much work out there and we did touch on that so i'll include that in the links uh the what the fat books um he's got a few different volumes one that's just the general uh cover of what, what a low carb high fat diet means uh, he's got a sports edition that's aimed at athletes and their their experience with a lower carb high fat way of living and there's also a cookbook uh, which you can use to actually implement and utilize these approaches into your daily life so for anyone listening just in that felt this conversation resonated, just reach out, let me know what what you thought, let me know what you felt, let me know what came up. If you feel willing to reach out to Grant, please do so. I'm sure he'll be willing to want to talk and learn more from you. If there's something that you wish to know more that he maybe hasn't explored, he'll be more than grateful to maybe consider that. And for all other queries, just message me and if you're feeling you want to support this podcast, please do so uh, through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or social media, whatever uh, avenue you wish to proceed with, will just really help to boost this um, podcast that I've begun, I've started and all out to get to more listeners and all we'll feed algorithm in the algorithm in the better direction I wish it to go, so if you could do that, I would be extremely grateful so to all listening may you live fruitfully live meaningfully and live in service until next time keep well i love you all